we are fighting the fight of general health and wellness. And so if we can get them in that, you know, you talked about those extremes and that's what makes firefighters good firefighters. Those extremes, that those are extreme personalities. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Firefighting is not just all cats and trees and making chili at the station. Unfortunately, long hours and trauma set the stage for some pretty poor mental and physical health. And no one knows that quite as well as career first responder Annette Zapp. She's here to remind us that the wellness deficit definitely exists within that community and that there's a lot you can do as a coach for your tactical athletes. Here it is, episode 642. All right, Power Athlete Nation, we welcome back Annette Zapp. Special guest in studio mm. today. We got a career firefighter who provides health and wellness solution to fire departments and is on a mission to ensure that every fighter fighter feels supported physically, mentally, or emotionally in the work they do. Also, a previous Power Athlete Radio guest, episode 354, where we spent a lot of time talking about anxiety, depression, suicide, and then that component in the fire department so i know we're going to expand on that but also get into some burning questions was that a pun yeah i was waiting for charles to hit the laugh button about mm. training but yeah it's it just missed. gonna deadpan anyway <laughs> all right and enough and annette welcome back thank you and i do feel like you undersold the last episode because we also talked about backdraft and chicago fire well that yeah, that's implied was, all mean, of my questions are related to <laughs> The documentaries Good. backdraft. Well, we uh, I think we're going to have to revisit them at least for at least twenty minutes. I mean, if, did if you, not longer. Did you watch backdraft last night like I did? The in preparation for this, yeah. I watch it every night. So it's like, <laughs> all right, Is that, it's how you cry yourself to sleep. I mean, Kurt Russell just the big brother I never had. Mm. Backdraft was bad. Oh backdraft my god, two was horrible. Have you seen it? No, but did. <laughs> No, I, I didn't even know they made the it. Plot. It welcomes back Billy B. Oh, well, I mean, it's probably the only work Billy Baldwin's had since Backdraft One. <laughs> he was just waiting around for them to call him. Maybe. I think, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Annette, you're back in town for the NSCA Tactical Conference, in which we are both presenting. And you're on a panel with some badasses, including Power Athlete Radio alum Tyler Christensen. Yes. And your topic of discussion, which we want to get into here. Where is the future of tactical training headed? Can I just ask you, how did I get on that panel? I'm not sure. I think they just threw everyone's name in a hat. I'm, I'm very, very overwhelmed, but also very excited. So where is tactical training headed in fire? Well, I'll give you the end, uh, end first. I truly believe that within 10 years, every single fire department of any size. So, you know, not the tiny departments, likely not the volunteer departments, but any fire department of 75 or more members will have an embedded health and wellness tactical professional within the department. You heard that here first. Mm. And I think the reason that that is going to happen is that the return on investment for health and wellness professionals and tactical is enormous. But the problem is, especially in fire, no one wants to be an early adopter. It's just, it's like when the new iPhone comes out, I wait. I didn't get the 13 until a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not an early adopter either. So the fire service always kind of waits to see what's going to happen. 
before they they pull the trigger, so to speak. But, you know, we have bigger programs, Denver Fire, Phoenix Fire, Fairfax County out on the East Coast with um, embedded civilians already. And so they're kind of what everyone's looking to. And I think that these smaller departments are going to quickly get on board once they see that return investment, for sure. Mm. Is this uh, usually somebody within the department or are they bringing out um, outside contractors, civilians? So the, the departments that I mentioned are all led by civilians. And I think that's really important. The fire service is really big on the train the trainer concept. And train the trainer works great when we get a new ladder truck or when we get a, a door prop. We send one or two guys to the manufacturer or to a training facility and they give those guys training, guys or girls training on the equipment. And then they come back and give all of the training to all of us. And so you get a new saw, someone goes and learns how to use it, comes back and tells us that works great for equipment. It doesn't work very well for human performance because I have 30 years in human performance and I still some days feel like I don't know enough. And so now we send a firefighter who doesn't have any background in health and wellness. They probably don't have a degree in it. We send them to a 40 hour training and have them come out expected to be in charge of everyone's, everyone's health and wellness. And further, we want them to be able to do that on duty for no extra pay. Mm. Doesn't work very well. Nope. I can't imagine it would. I'm yeah. sure people aren't fighting for that job. Well, you know, they, they want to. There's a lot of firefighters that sincerely want to help their peers, but they just don't realize what they're getting into. And so the departments where I am managing the program now, and they have peer fitness trainers, they're great as force multipliers. They're wonderful. They can lead on-duty shift training that I feed them. They can refer people to me. I do some training with them, but they just feel really lost when they're thrown back to their department with no leadership whatsoever. So to answer your question, I think it's really important to have either a civilian or a very highly credentialed firefighter from another department. It doesn't work great to have someone from your own department, even if they know what they're doing, because you can't be a prophet in your own kingdom. Mm, so, that's true. Uh, there, there's uh, basically there's a rule in the fire service. What makes you an expert? Go five miles away. Well, the, that's pretty much uh, with like strength and conditioning. Same thing. I mean, the fact that we were in California and we got more jobs on the East Coast than we did on the West Coast. I mean, so distance, the farther away that you are, the more of an expert you are. Absolutely. And then just think of it. We're we're a family. Because, you know, you check in to a normal job, seven, eight, nine o'clock, and then you clock out at the end of the day and you go home. Well, we eat meals together. We sleep together, not physically together, but we sleep, we go to bed and we wake up together a third of our lives. So we're a family. And, you know, if your brother's a mechanic, you might ask him if he knows what's wrong with your car, but you're going to double check his information with someone who really knows. And so that's kind of that whole we really, I truly believe we need to outsource and hopefully it's coming to even smaller departments. Yeah. So what are, how does the, the panel work? So everybody's a different member of the industry. We know Tyler is uh, connected to the Air Force and their performance. So what's the expectation with the panel? You're going to lead the fire perspective or is it going to push the whole industry forward? That's a great question. And usually something I find out about five minutes before it goes down but what I'm picturing, I did a similar panel at NSCA National just a month ago, and it was just two of us, Joe Dank from the military and me. And it was actually one of the best attended. And it wasn't even a panel. It was one of those little um, uh, 
groups in the expo hall where people just kind of gather around and there were people spilling out and so many people had questions about tactical. And so our panel here at tactical will be different because of course the audience is different, but my expectation is that, you know, Rob Orr will be talking more specifically with the military as well as Ryan Carroll and Tyler. And then EJ O'Malley will probably hit the law enforcement and then I'll come, come with the fire information. Yeah. Tactical in the sense, like it's, I feel that it's a good initiative, good marker, but then once you really get into it, police, fire, military, and then every single branch of the military, they're all different. And then, I mean, preparation for those professionals, like they have to specialize as much as a football SNC would really have to take on and understand yeah, the demands. But I think uh, people overcomplicate it because the more complicated you make it, uh, the more, I guess, you can charge or the more you kind of carve into your niche. At the end of the day, these guys need to lift weights. They do a little base level conditioning, and then they need to actually go out and do things that represent their job. One thing that we appreciate about the fire is that you guys drill. You guys are constantly working through your gear. Um, you know, I don't know if the police end up doing that as much as they need to. Um, but I think that becomes like a big piece of like, you know, sports-specific conditioning. Almost take a, an approach like you would to train professional athletes. Basic GPP strength training, uh, a little bit of aerobic capacity, a little bit of glycolytic capacity, a little bit of bodybuilding, and then let them go out and train at a high intensity for their specific task. Well, I love that you brought that up because what I have to remind people of is that um, as much as we would like to think that the fire service is sort of tip of the spear, just like special operators, if you really look at it and you get down to it, more of the fire service is overweight and obese than the general population because we are the general population. And then you sleep deprive us and you expose us to trauma. And so um, when I'm working with a fire department, it truly is for the most part that GPP, just getting them to a baseline level of fitness and getting them to an area of fitness where they are not at risk for cardiovascular disease and cancer and all of those things. And so, um, Again, the, the same applies mostly to the police and to the bigger aspects of the military. Once you're working in special operations, my perception is things are very different. But certainly in police and fire, it's a lot of general, general capacity work for sure. Well, I, I think TVs and really movies have fucked this whole thing up because, uh, you know, you, you see firemen or something, let's say in a movie like Backdraft, for example, oh, and yeah. they're all pretty fit. And these guys are hard chargers. They're kicking indoors and it's not representative of the individuals that are actually doing the job. So I think they see that and that's the perception. And there's kind of a, um, a weird deal of all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like I was reading a bunch of stuff on like, uh, certain types of personalities of the people that would go into, let's say special operations or a fireman or this, uh, they tend to be a little more out on the rails, mm -hmm. all or nothing individuals. Mm -hmm. That's why when they go to the bar, it's not just one drink. It's either, I, either I don't go to the bar and drink or I go have every drink. <laughs> and so that kind of type of personality is into an all or nothing kind of mentality, especially with fitness, where it's like, oh, if I can't train at a high intensity or I can't do this, I'm just not going to do anything. And I think for a lot of these guys, if we could actually get to a more realistic version of performance and matrix mm -hmm. for, for success, and even if it was one or two or three days a week, it doesn't have to be six days a week for three hours. You know, we had uh, Leo on the podcast and he's kind of like far and beyond what we'd normally expect. And I think for a lot of people, they think, oh, if I can't train, you know, and do what he's doing, I'm not going to do it. And I think just reaffirming and just refocusing what the 
you know, what the end game is, which is what health, longevity, mm-hmm. wellness. Collecting your pension for longer than you actually worked at the department. Mm-hmm. So I hope to collect my pension until I'm 104 years old. Good luck on that one. Thanks. Uh, well, I mean, speak to us now on shift. Like, what does that represent? 24 hours, 12 hours, 48. So those that are unfamiliar with the demands, how long is typical fireman on? You know, there's a, a, a variety of different shift schedules. My particular department's on a 24-48, which means I'm on duty for 24 hours, and then I'm off for 48 hours. And that sounds like a great schedule until you think, oh, wait, I have to get up early the day I go to work. I have to get up early the day I'm getting off work. And so I might get to sleep in that first day off, but then I have to get up early again. So although it's probably one of the better schedules, it still represents a lot of sleep deprivation, especially if you're in a high volume call area. Then there's other schedules. Uh, There's the 4896 schedule where you're on duty for 48 hours, which wouldn't be bad if you're on a slow department, but on on a, a very busy department, that's to me overwhelming. And then you're off for 96. But that personality that John talked about, that's what makes guys think, oh, man, if I do just one shift trade, now I'm off for, uh, you know, eight days in a row. So I'm going to do a whole bunch of shift trades. So that's not a great, a great way to approach that. And then there's another, I think it's called the Kelly schedule, where you're on a day, off a day, on a day, off a day for four in a row, and then you're off four days. That's very undesirable schedule. But when you put it all in a pot and you stir it up, what you really find is that none of it's great for our sleep. And as attractive as it is, like I can do extra jobs and I can go to my kids' baseball games, it really quickly becomes overwhelming for sure. What's optimal? I, you know, actually, uh, twenty four forty eight is what I've always been on, and I have a what's called a work reduction day every ninth shift. But there are some departments that have gone to a twenty four seventy two, and so they don't get any work reduction days, but they have those that extra day off in between. I think that would be my go-to. And then there's a department in Texas and I was going to check. I don't remember. I don't think it's Austin and I'm sure it's not San Antonio, but it's a department in Texas that actually has a start time of 10 or 11 o'clock in the daytime rather than that seven, six, seven, eight o'clock time start. And so that gives people that extra day to sleep in a little bit later. And so that I think would be something that would be uh, pretty desirable for me, for sure. Are you Googling a text? Are you going to find it? Yeah. Houston. Yeah, yeah. Houston. You can see him. He's got a Spock eyebrow up as he's yeah. over there. Yeah. And I've heard some things about the Houston Police Department and they, you know, somebody, maybe a politi- politician in charge, took the old pension, put it somewhere else, and then, uh, you know, just gave a big F you to all the, the retirees. Oh, stole all the pension? <laughs> yeah, mm. for another project. Mm. Yeah, the old like, shell game. Yeah, that's like when they uh, you hear them, they're like, oh, you know, uh, we got to repurpose some of this Social Security money. And, I want, and whenever I hear that, I'm like, you mean the money we already paid in that you stole out of my check? Now you're going to basically steal my money and repurpose it? So, yeah, that's the, that's the classic. I don't think people realize that those funds are actually, those are our money that they're just holding for us. I owe you. Yeah. 150000 You're going to hold <laughs> on that one, John. Oh, it's awful. Uh, with, um, so, like, the culture's already gone this way, and now you're kind of fighting the tide, trying to bring in a different type of culture. Um, is it almost like the point where you realize that the the guys that have been there for a while that are indoctrinated into another kite in the steel are almost like like you're just trying to save them, like throw them a lifeline? 
where the big focus is on the guys that are coming in because it's a lot easier to like work with those guys from day one and extend a certain way opposed from getting people to switch a certain lifestyle. You know what, to some extent, you are absolutely correct. Um, we call them the dinosaurs. Uh, the dinosaurs are leaving. And the new people coming in are much more knowledgeable about health and wellness, and they're more interested in it. But here's the thing. They're also much more unfit. Because in Illinois, at least, a few years ago, I don't remember how long, Texas will have to Google it, many of the schools took out mandatory physical fitness. And so we are getting candidates coming in in their 20s, male candidates who are like 25% body fat in their 20s. And what you have to remember is that when you hire someone, they are likely in the best shape they're ever going to be in. And so things are only going to go downhill. So they are more interested in health, wellness, and nutrition, but they're also fighting a greater battle because they're less, less fit. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very big challenge. The other thing that you can throw in the mix is that speaking of the pension in the state of Illinois, our states and departments mismanaged our pensions. So we, the firefighters have always put in our portion without fail. We've always put in our portion, but some of the departments uh, undercut uh, what they should have been putting in to the, to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. And so the state came in a few years ago and they're like, whoa, this whole pension thing is a mess. We have to fix this somehow. And their solution was, ah, we're going to create a second tier of pension people and they'll get less and they have to pay more and they have to work longer and that's going to solve all of the problems. Well, Unfortunately, what we're going to see in 30 years when these people are getting into their 50s is a lot more pension um, duty injuries. So you may have to work until you're 55 or older, but you've already pensioned off on a hip disability or something like that. So I think that this is going to backfire big time because we created that second level of pension. The job is less desirable. Mm. So. When I was um, when I was trying to get hired, there would be hundreds, literally hundreds, 500 people took the test for the department that I got hired on. And we are lucky to get 15 people now mm. testing. Some departments be get zero because of the tension, I think, because of the fact that the job is a lot less attractive now. So being a public servant is less attractive sure. and the pension is less attractive too. So do you think a lot of people were doing the job specifically because of the pension, almost like, um, you know, be a teacher in California. I mean, obviously the money's not good, but you know, there's a pretty good pension program and retirement. And I think that was definitely a draw. I didn't grow up from a, a small child waving at the fire trucks and wanting to be a firefighter. I didn't even know about the career. For the longest time, many of my coworkers did grow up wanting to be a firefighter, but I do think that that pension is definitely something that people, they look at it and, and they look at that security because it's a defined benefit. Mm -hmm. So it makes it very attractive, less attractive. So do you think people come into the job not know, knowing that maybe they might not get as much pension on the backside, but if you get hurt on the job, then you're going to age or you're going to injure out a little bit? I don't know if people actually think about that. That's the thing I think about in the health and wellness career. Now I have to get these people because think about it. You have to work till you're 55. So if you start when you're 21, how long is that? Do the math for me. That's way longer than you had to before. And so these people, it's like training age. 
my training age in the fire service is pretty darn old and I'm only doing 20 years. So, so do I mean, is, so regardless of when you start, everybody retires at 55, 54. Uh, now you have to do a minimum of 25 years, whereas I had to do 20 and you have to be a minimum of 55 years old, whereas I had to be 50. Mm. So it could really bump up. Because if, if I had started at the age I started 33 and had to do 25 years, now we're looking at 58 mm-hmm. instead of 53. I can't see myself doing the job so, at 58. So you really have to get in this thing by the time you're 30. I would say so, yes, absolutely. And be as fit as you possibly can for your own health and well-being before you start. Uh, there's this perception, I think, that, oh, I'm starting on the fire department. I'm going to the academy. I'm going to get so and maybe, maybe you will get a little bit more fit. If you're unfit, you'll get a little bit more fit. But that's not a good way to think of it, for Do, sure. Um, because the numbers are less, when people go to the academy, are they more likely to pass because they need the numbers? Whereas before, if you had 500 candidate, uh, candidates, you sent them all to the academy and people peeled out, you had more to choose from? Yeah, that's a great question. That is, um, it's even different than when I started because when I started, they did send us to an academy. But since they had so many applicants, they started to get greedy, like, oh, it costs us money to send people to the academy. So let's make sure they have that credential before we hire them. Mm. And so people, instead of going to a very formal academy like I went to, they're going to what we call in-house academies, part-time academies, or even just almost a pencil whip academy where they go and get their tasks signed off by a volunteer department. And they really never have that experience that I had. So um, all in all, it's just, it's not a great situation for fire, at least in Illinois. There are places in the country that are still getting hundreds of applicants and they're putting 50, groups of 50 through their academies, but definitely not in Illinois. So what do you think you have to do to fix it? You have to fix the pension? Yeah, I think we have to fix the pension. I think we have to concurrently raise the requirements back up to where they used to be. And I honestly, I think that, um, to get hired, you have to clear a medical physical. A physician has to say, yes, you are fit for duty. And I just truly think that some of the people that are getting hired aren't fit for duty. So I think we need to make those requirements more stringent. So what are some of the requirements? Um, In many states, they've gone to what is the uh, candidate physical agility or ability test, which is a series of, I believe it's eight uh, stations. They start on a step mill with a vest. And then uh, after that, they, they complete all these stations. And the time requirement is 10 minutes and 20 seconds. And you have to have completed that within a year of your hire. So you get a card that says you did 10 minutes and 20 seconds. And, In a row. Uh, you completed it within 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah. So uh, you're on a stair climber with a vest. How, high, like how far are you going? I think it's just three minutes. And then you're off. And then you ha- I don't remember the order of the... The activities at all but there's a, a simulated ceiling pole there's a simulated hose drag um there's i'm not remembering these at all very well but and there's a certain number of feet in between stations and you can't run and so people actually very fit people sometimes wash out on this candidate physical ability test because they don't pace themselves correctly and so uh, 10 minutes and 20 seconds is by no means super challenging, but if you're not terribly fit or if you don't pace yourself, you'll have difficulty. But 
the uh, the issue with that is you can pass that test barely, 10 minutes and 19 seconds, pass it barely, and then sit on your butt and do nothing. And if a department calls you a year later and you still have your card, you're good to go. So it's only good for uh. one year? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so um, other other requirements, I think they could definitely be more stringent. You know, they're, again, people coming in at 25 and 30% body fat. There's no, uh, there's no space for the physician to say, well, you're already overweight and obese. This might not be the job for you. And the analogy I use is, man, I want to be a Victoria's Secret model. I really do. But I don't meet the requirements. I, I, and you know what? It's really sad. I'm very sad about that. But I don't meet the requirements. And not well, everyone will uh, meet the fire actually, requirements. Actually, the Victoria's Secret uh, changed all their standards. What? And they got rid of all their, their um, what was it, like the angels? And they did all their shit. They got rid of all that. They completely pivoted their entire game away from like Victoria's Secret models to uh, exactly what would be you would expect. They, they pivoted 100%. So even Victoria's Secret changed, which I don't even think they, I don't even know if they go off by that name. I read a whole thing about dismantling um, stereotypes. And like they were one that kind of put this up, the Victoria's Secret models, and they would have their fashion show with Giselle and they'd wear wings and all that. You know, they got rid of all the shit. They basically gutted that entire thing. All so right. we might have to get a new analogy for you. Yeah, that's been my analogy for years. Like, ah, I can't play quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I, mainly because I can't throw a ball. Mainly uh, because yards. I can't. <laughs> I can't throw a ball that far. You ever seen how far those NFL quarterbacks throw balls? Fucking throw those things. Well, not the Bears quarterbacks. Ayo. Ah. Uh, I'm just kidding. I mean, aren't you a Jay, big Jay Cutler fan now? Big Jay Cutler fan. Uh, I'm actually a reality fan. TV star. I'm a more of a fan of Jay Cutler post NFL. I wasn't a fan of him in the NFL, but I'm a fan of his, of his now merely because uh, he does not give a fuck about anything. And the comments he makes are hysterical. There was one I posted recently where somebody's like, do you have any regrets? And he's like, no. And he's like, my only regret is the fact that you asked me this question and then just lambasted this person because <laughs> of it. He's like, yeah, I played a, I got paid $120 million to be pretty much terrible. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm just sitting at home hanging out with my kids. Fuck off. Well, within a football team, there's specific positions that have different demands than others that require specific training, preparation, diet, nutrition. Now explain to us, like, how does that work for a fire? Is everybody responsible for every job on shift? Or is there like, hey, you're 25% body fat. You're, you're going to be the driver. You're going to be the driver. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I don't know. Like, like, do you just take those guys and you're like, hey, you're the hose roller. Yeah, or all the rookies do the shit jobs. Like make chili. That's so many questions. But really, our expectation is that you should be able to do every basic job. So you should be able to operate the hose line. Um, after you've been there a while, you should be able to drive, successfully navigate. Everyone should be able to do forcible entry. That's the expectation. Everyone should be able to do each job. Now, it's funny. I just did a post on social media the other day. A girl that was short asked me, like, how do I get the stuff off the top shelf safely? How oh, short? my God. I ask that every day. How short are we talking about? Um, Like five, three-ish. Okay. And, and her department puts heavy stuff on the top shelf. So I said, well, first of all, you really need to get that changed. Second of all, I, sh- I demonstrated kind of like I, I rock it till it's to the edge and then it's almost like I catch it into a, like a quarter squat. I demonstrated this for her. And then I said, or just ask a taller person. And I, my DMs just got filled up with people like everyone should be able to do every job. Was and, it men or women saying that? Uh, men. And so I did. An, I, I Was did this an, on Instagram? It is. And so I did another reel 
And I said, you know, someone came into my DMs and said, in the fire service, everyone should be able to do every job. And although I agree with that in theory, if you've got a small hole, are you going to pick the biggest person or the smallest person to go through the hole? And so I was pretty happy with that. And then my significant other busted into it. And he's, he said, uh, yes, pick the biggest person and then you'll have a bigger hole. Follow me for more home repair tips. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so to answer your question, Tex, in theory, everyone should be able to do every basic job. And then we have specialties, dive and technical rescue and fire investigation and all kinds of things like that. But everyone should be able to do every basic job. So everybody should be able to drive the big trucks. Mm hmm. What about the rear, like Kramer? Yeah, the guy driving in the back. That's um, pretty cool. That's a tiller truck. And most cities don't have those unless you're like a truly a city full of high rise city blocks and you have to make tight turns. Like New York and New Chicago York. have those? Yes, we do not have those. So you probably got to get coached up on that. I would not let McQuilkin get in the back of that truck. I'd let McQuilkin drive the, the ladder oh, truck. Oh, well, the wheel's too big. No, I, I think the problem is like if I'm driving, we're driving way too fast. Oh, yeah. I'll be like, hold the fuck on. We're going to get there. They so, said they're 10. We'll get there in two. Yeah. Oh, that's 45 minutes away. Uh, yeah. We'll be there in 15. <laughs> Do, does the back have brakes? I don't, I, I don't have much experience with the tiller truck, but uh, also. I, I know they have headphones and they talk and they're like, dude, we got a turn coming up and they'll like yeah. go through it because I, um, I don't even know how I know this, but I know they have headphones and they communicate like, holy shit, things are coming. And then the dude on the outside's just basically just, it's kind of like when uh, your car broke down and DJ was dragging you with the strap back to the house. Oh yeah. And you were probably riding the brake because you were nervous. Oh yeah. And he, Imagine if you just let the brake go and you just basically just tried to tail him. No. That's what it would, that's the analogy I would give you. Well, you know, Tex, we just hired, we have four females now. It's awesome. And we just hired Shannon a couple of years ago. Shannon is a badass, but she's the tiniest badass ever. And so when she drives, she actually has a booster seat. It's like a little, a little cushiony. So booster does my seat. wife. So you could borrow her booster seat. Uh, my wife has a little booster seat mm -hmm. that she sits on. Mm -hmm. When she yeah. drives my truck, she like gets in there and like props herself up. Uh -huh. And I laugh. I think it's hilarious. Yep. Shannon puts her booster seat on and then she jams that seat all the way to the front and all the way up. Just driving like this with it in her chest. Yeah. Tape bricks to the pedals. Yes. It's a good move. Yes. Yeah. No, that's uh, I, for some reason I thought that maybe the driver was like, you're the driver in or, a, or is it like for the most part, like, Hey, everybody's on shift. He's usually pretty good at driving. We'll just let him always drive in a smaller department. Like mine, we generally try to give people rotations or chances. Now, if, if the guy's been there forever, you know, he's going to be my driver. Sorry. Sorry, new guy, but the, the well, old guy's the driver. It's kind of like wherever we go, I drive Yeah, one because I drive fast and I'm usually pretty, pretty good. So like we get in the car, the kids know I always drive. Oh, you don't let the kids drive? No. Okay. Uh, I did do a, uh, so uh, I had to go to the Hall of Fame deal and I uh, flew to Dallas and they canceled my flight. I couldn't get to the Hall of Fame. So I had to rent a car and drive home. So I had a rental car. And when I came in, I um, took the opportunity to teach my daughters your 10 how to drive with the rental car. <laughs> it's perfect. I'm like, hey, we got a rental car. It's a simple little it's a toy. speed bump. You're going to want to speed up. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's actually very true. My daughter, we went into the turn and she, I, I told her, I'm like, hey, always break into a turn. She somehow thought gas. So we go into the turn and she accelerates and we're going right at a tree. And I just was like, oh, Lord. <sighs> just took it. a deep breath. This is it. We're going to hit this thing. And she fucking maneuvered and we got past it. And my other daughter in the back seat was like hyperventilating. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay, your turn. And they're like, dad, you weren't even nervous. I'm like, anything was going to happen, like just would have happened. But yeah, I, I think uh, being able to drive, especially as a girl is extremely important because I don't think that people in power 
girls to drive, especially at a young age. Well, and you know, funny story, I grew up for a few years, at least on a farm. And what you do on farms is you drive tractors and you learn how to drive with your knee. And so my girlfriend, Johanna, we were, we're coming here, eating sandwiches, driving on whatever tech said 35, and I'm driving with my knee like a yeah. boss. And I said to her, can you drive with your knee? And she's like, yeah. So it's a tough girl thing, I think. A tall girl thing. Yeah. A tall girl thing, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I can drive with my knees. Do it all the time. But Texting. No. And watching a movie? Yeah. Watching a movie, eating a sandwich, <laughs> drinking hot coffee. To answer your question, at bigger departments, usually the driver is a promoted and tested position at the big department. So mm. those people get to drive all the time. Mm. That'd be a fun job. It is fun. I would be, I would like to be a fireman just so I get to drive big trucks. Um, I won't lie. It's fun. And driving the ladder truck, it's, it's very interesting because the basket is in front of you. And when you're turning over the cars, you'll see the people in the cars ducking mm. like you're going to hit them. So it's a power Qu- move. Question. Mm. Can we elevate the ladder and drive? Or is that no. frowned upon? No, it's frowned upon. Yeah, it's frowned, it's upon. frowned upon. Okay. Movies. Well, no, it's kind of like when we had the uh, scissor lift in here when um, <laughs> uh, Levi was like, hey, how'd you guys get this uh, ceiling? I'm like, oh, scissor lift. And we were actually doing slalom courses with it at mass extension. And we got pretty good to the point where we could actually, I, that was what we wanted to do for our um, intern candidates, make them run a slalom on a fully extended. Power athlete employees are the reason that first responders have jobs. Just saying. Uh, Not yeah. wrong. No, we're actually hard to kill. Now fuck ourselves up. Eh, that'll probably happen a little bit more. Uh, we call that FAFO. Fuck around <laughs> and find out. Oh, the fire department. I think. Annette, maybe like a day or two before your last podcast, the fire department did show up here. Yes, yeah. because you were burning illegally. No, I wasn't burning illegally. Uh, I had I a just permit. just didn't tell anybody I was burning. Well, I had a permit and uh, I ended up setting it and I can't remember why they showed up. Oh, because the permit was expired. So that I, Burn ban was They on. didn't get their 25 bucks. So they came out and instead of just making me pay the 25 bucks, they hosed it down with a bunch of crap. Okay, you're going to like this, John. Okay. I'm in a medium-sized town. We won't even call it a city. And we get a call not too long ago. I was on the ladder truck. We had a call for smoke in the area of an intersection. And the caller had been so irate at the dispatcher, swearing and whatever. We get to the intersection. I can smell smoke. I can't see anything. And we try to get more information, nothing. So we went home. The next morning, I'm taking my gear off the truck. I'm giving the report to the next guy, and the tones drop for the same address. I was just telling him about the story. The tones drop for the same address. So they respond out. Now it's daylight, and they can see what they found. They called it uh, Stonehenge. These people had sheets of plywood surrounding a giant burn pit where they were throwing aerosol cans in. So now they're exploding. These hillbillies are drunk and wearing garbage bags. And the only and, and they've been doing this for years, irritating their neighbors. So if the guy had just simply told us what the address was, we could have found it the night before. Wait a minute. Okay. So they had a fire. They put up sheets of plywood around it. So and then we're throwing aerosol cans into the fire. Into the giant fire. Which is really where you get rid of aerosol cans is usually mm-hmm. in a bonfire. While wearing garbage bags. Yeah. And while they were drunk. Drunk, drunk or meth or both? Unknown meth, but definitely drunk. Mm. So, and they were doing this to upset their neighbor? No, I think they were just doing it because they were hillbillies. And please remind me to show you the pictures. I have a whole album dedicated to this. Mm. Well, I mean, hillbillies do have some fucking crazy shit. Well, we got our show cover. 
Yeah. <laughs> they got I, in a garbage bag. Like like black garbage bags? Black plastic garbage bags. Because it was misting a little bit. He didn't want to get wet. Was oh. he naked? Uh I don't think so. That was what I envisioned. So yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Just naked hillbillies and trash so bags. So what have we learned if you're going to get irate at your neighbor because they deserve for you to be irate, at least when you call, give the neighbor's address so we can well, find Or you. don't live near those type of hillbillies. The, the Drag hill, your trailer somewhere else. The hillbillies said to the officer on the truck, well, we've had this bonfire going for like three years. Behind Stonehenge. You mean behind Plywood? Plywood Hedge. So the plywood was the, where they were placing the plywood or it just never burned. Oh no. Man, we're going to definitely need more pictures of this. Yeah. Yeah. Meth's a hell of a drug. Uh, the, the guy that, um, the ceiling here in power and, uh, in the office is all cedar. Uh-huh. And the guy that brought us the cedar, um, I actually don't even know his name. I just called him hillbilly. And so he brought it from Bastrop and brought us all this just like sliced cedar. And then we planed it and nailed it up. And then he, uh, he had a bunch of trash and he's like, hey, can I borrow your trailer to go get rid of the trash? I said, no problem. The dude skips town and takes my shitty trailer with him. Wait, how do you go to the dump now? Different trailer? Uh, no, I, well, this is a good story. So he, the trailer that I have is so ugly that nobody would steal it. And I got it for free, which is even better. And so he basically takes my trailer and I'm like, dude, this is awful. Like, I don't know where this guy lives. So I end up calling him on the phone like about a week later and uh, he was pretty fucked up when i talked to him and i was like hey man i gotta come over and drop you off some money so he gives me his address and i drive out to bastrop out into like hillbilly fucking central and i reclaimed my trailer i pulled up i latched it up and he's like hey i thought you were gonna bring me some money and i was like yeah here it is who fucking won <laughs> and i fucking drove away in my trailer and um we've had it ever since so hillbilly almost stole our, stole our trailer and uh, if you would have seen how that dude was living it was something fierce he uh you know, like bathtub on the outside. Like uh, it was just, yeah, it was real interesting, but yeah, man, I mean, people are insane. Um, with, uh, like, so do most of the candidates come in with like, uh, I mean, obviously graduated high school, but do they come in with college degrees? It, it, it varies. Some of them, uh, come in with like an associate's degree. You get a few extra points on the hiring process. If you have an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, uh, I would say maybe 50, 50, so many of them are very young. They're coming right, you know, they've had a few jobs and then they're 21 and they're, they're getting hired. And then some of them takes longer. So they're, you know, in their early thirties, but I would say it's a good mix of degrees and no degrees. Do you think it's as glorious? I mean, like I, I always thought being a fireman was pretty cool. Like I, I mean, it wasn't something I, I was necessarily going to do, but like one of my, um, one of the guys I played high school football with went to college. And then, uh, when he got out of college, his dad was a fire chief and got into the fire department and in LA County and has been there ever since. Uh, so I always thought like it was, it was a pretty cool, like they had a cool schedule. Um, they always had enough time to start other weird side businesses, right? Uh, which always feels like every fireman I've ever met always has another side yeah, business. You got a guy. Yeah. One, one of the firemen that we used to run into a bunch ended up being a big time bookie. Oh yeah. I think he ended up getting into some trouble about that. <laughs> But uh, like it had like a pretty good shine on it. Do you think that that's kind of deteriorated a little bit? Like I'm surprised that, that you guys are struggling to get people in the door. We definitely run a lot of calls different than I thought that we would be running. Man, I thought I was going to be saving lives left and right. Um, I have not saved very many lives. And uh, a lot of the calls that we run are EMS calls, which are 
you know, basic life support, runny noses, honestly, things like that. And so that's a little bit uh, less uh, exciting than I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I think that we we educated people for the longest time to um, call the fire department. You have an emergency, call the fire department. But I think we did a poor job defining what those emergencies are. So they call us for everything. If their toilet is flooding their house, they call 911 and we go and we actually do fix it to the extent of shutting the toilet, the water off to the toilet. And so it's definitely not what I thought it was going to be, but it also has given me the impetus to sort of my second career because I I say it this way. I won't save many civilians being a firefighter, but if I can save firefighters, then I can be sort of that force multiplier. So the more firefighters I save, the more civilians that can ultimately hopefully be saved. So that's my, that's my reasoning that I'm using now. So what's the hierarchy on saving these guys? I mean, I know last time we talked about, um, you know, pulling up to a call and seeing something pretty awful, you know, people tend to drink in that away or Mm -hmm. managing it in other ways. So, I mean, is it, um, you know, cardiovascular disease, suicide? I mean, what becomes like the real, like hierarchy of that? Like, what are you shooting for? And then the lower tiers. I'm, I'm still preaching sleep because like, sleep just makes everything get better. Um, when, you're t- when your child's being horrible or your significant other's being horrible, it's generally because they're tired and cranky. And it's the same thing with firefighters. Our decision-making processes are negatively impacted by being sleep-deprived. Uh, and that includes even our nutritional choices. When we're tired, we're going cho- to choose something awful rather than something that's good for us. Um, sleep does impact cardiovascular disease. It impacts cancer. Uh, In fact, uh, the World Health Organization just actually, they they made a couple of uh, two sort of uh, positions. One of them is that sleep is a uh, sleep deprivation is a huge health risk. And then firefighting is a cancer causing disease. So now we have the double whammy going for us. We're sleep deprived and we're firefighting. Well, and you're humans, which uh, humans have been classified as an endangered species. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. So uh, Shanna Swan, doctor who wrote the book uh, Countdown, which I recently read, um, went through and basically based on our falling birth rates, which in 1960 was about each couple had about five kids and now we're less than two and a half. Based upon those numbers and the mortality rates, we're actually defined as an endangered species. Humans are. Wow. Did so, not know that. So now you got three. You're like, you're not only an endangered species. We're an endangered species. And we, we need some sort of special dispensations now, I think, for sure, if we're endangered. But I digress. Um, you know, the, the firefighting, I think I mentioned just uh, a couple of thoughts ago, you know, we are not tip of the spear. We are fighting the fight of general health and wellness. And so if we can get them in that, you know, you talked about those extremes. And that's what makes firefighters good firefighters, those extremes, that those are extreme personalities. But it makes us very poor, um, you know, curators of our health and wellness. Sure. So if we can move people more into that gray area of doing, um, making good efforts uh, consistently rather than all or nothing, I think that's going to be a huge help. And I, w- I was telling text before we started recording I've recently sort of, I haven't changed my philosophy. That's not what I'm saying. I have changed the way I define myself. And I define myself as the person that's able to interpret the science and make it 
make sense to the firefighters so that they'll take action. Hmm. So give them the so what, now what. And the example that I use, I can preach sleep every day and they're going to say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Mm -hmm. But if I, you know, just cite the study with the young Chicago, um, the study in young Chicago college students, it was just five nights of five hours of sleep, their testosterone diminished by 15%. Sure. Now they care. Now they're listening. Don't tell them this one. 18, being awake 18 hours is equivalent to drinking three beers. What if you drink three beers? Does that mean you're and six, I'm up eighteen hours. I'm three ahead. That means you got a six pack. Seems like economy of time. Don't and, tell them that one. Uh, you know what? And you you raise a really good point. You have to be so careful with firefighters because they cherry pick what you say. And so, if I were to say, uh, caffeine can actually let's use creatine. Creatine's been shown to help soften the impacts of sleep deprivation. So when you are sleep deprived, if you are also taking creatine, you um, probably have better executive functioning. All they hear is I can skip sleep and just need to take creatine. How much? <laughs> well, um, you, you should also read that, uh, that book that I referenced countdown um, because she goes into a ton of deal about uh, environmental toxins affecting hormone levels and also reproduction and all the other health issues. And you guys are exposed to so many, not only from the, outfits you um you know guys are wearing like we talked about they're like soaked in like a formaldehyde anti you know fire retardant mm -hmm. stuff which is yes. extremely toxic um but also the things that you guys are running into i mean whether it be asbestos and things on i mean when you start burning stuff you're talking about hillbillies burning aerosol cans behind old i mean what else are they burning like uh diapers uh tires uh probably grandma i mean they're burning everything burn it all yeah and so uh, you guys are really exposed to all these fumes so i mean it'd be pretty interesting to think about all the environmental factors that are i mean because they affect i mean um the leaching of plastic bpas i mean i had no concept that that was as damaging as it is i mean um the statistics that she had in the book said that our grandfathers produced twice as much sperm as a like a, a 35 year old man in like this whatever like our grandfather's mm -hmm. age at our you know 10 years older than we are today produced twice as much sperm that a woman in the 60s was more fertile at age 35 than a 25 year old woman is today so i mean it goes through all of this kind of sheet and though the way that they tracked all this was uh through sperm banks and uh fertility clinics because people were coming in so they've had all this pretty amazing but i keep thinking like with the fire deal i mean sleep deprivation out of shape um, obviously not good physical shape to begin with, and then being exposed to all these environmental toxins. I'm like, there's probably a lot more going on at the surface than, uh, than we know. All I heard there was that it's the men's fault that we're now an endangered species. Yes. Um, 100%. I yeah, think I, I, I buy that. I think for eternity, we've had this idea that uh, reproduction is uh, the woman's fault. Uh -huh. But based upon what I list, I, I read recently, I mean, it seems that, um, you know, autism and uh, miscarriages and a lot of things end up happening, especially when men are older and the sperm becomes more compromised. So, I mean, it's at least 50 50 in that. And I think for a long time, uh, miscarriages or, you know, fertility issues were just shouldered on women, which is bullshit. Um, it's becoming much more of a male issue. And uh, I mean, just hormonally, um, men are just not nearly as durable. I mean, I, I look at a lot of blood work. Um, there are things that, you know, sex binding globulin the hormone of 70 didn't exist mm -hmm. 50 years ago. And now it's pretty more common. Would now be a good time for me to get on a soapbox? Sure. Pull it out. Uh, Chris is sitting on it. All right. My latest thing that I'm on is 
uh, firefighters on social media working out in their gear. So by working out, I'm saying doing dumbbell snatches, burpees, deadlifts in their firefighting gear or riding an assault bicycle in with an air tank and whatever. And here's the problem that gear, if it's been in a structural firefight, uh, even if it's been washed, it still has carcinogens in it. Sure. And so now we're increasing the metabolic rate, we're sweating and we're taking these into our bodies. And so some of them say, well, wait, I have a special set of gear. It's never been in a fire. But the problem is even brand new out of a box, this gear is um, soaked in the fire retardants that, that you just mentioned. And so when you look at it, risk versus reward, it is such a risk with very low reward. And so I am on a mission to try to make people understand, and I'm using football analogies, you know, we're not having the players bench pressing in their pads. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Let me give you a little example. And Chris knows exactly what I'm going to say. So years ago when we started CrossFit football, this guy sent me a video of a device that he wanted me to um, help him promote. And what it was, was a football helmet that had a pad on top of it. And what he was asking these kids to do is they would do push jerks off their heads. So bring the barbell down, dip, and then drive off their head as a way to develop hitting. And he's like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, stop what you're doing because you're about to ruin. I mean, fuck, dude. Like, this is what's called axial loading. And they show us videos. Like, when you hit with your head down and you get hit this way, I mean, that's how people die. I mean, that's how uh, people get paralyzed. I mean, the axial load, the whole deal of, like, hit with your eyes, hit with what you see. And now you're effectively axial loading these kids for some form of deal. And like, I was like, dude, if you fucking market this, I'm going to, you know, I mean, as we went through the, uh, the verbal assaults of me, like spinning out on this, I mean, but it, this is what we got into earlier. People go into this ridiculousness of like sports specific training. Like, uh, you know, we saw it all the time. We've seen it in football. I mean, there's people that sell this as a, as a modality and this is a deal, but at the end of the day, like if they lift some weights, do some base level of, of conditioning, uh, a little bit of glycolytic work, let's say a little bit of bodybuilding, you know, uh, you know, mobility if they have issues. And then for the most part, go out and do your training. In your gear. In, in your, yeah. You, you need to be competent doing all of your skills in your sure. gear. But, but physical fitness training, the risk is too high yeah. for no reward. And I can forgive the fire, the, the typical line firefighter doesn't understand it. They don't know anything about this, but the trainers out there, the coaches that are promoting this because it looks sexy. I'm just just doing it for the gram. It I'm just over it. So well the Well like what TikTok dances are big within the fire department, Chris? You're asking the wrong guy. We were mentioned earlier we began the conversation with the future of tactical uh training. You're going to bring strength coaches in to fire departments. They will be tempted because they don't understand to get too specific. Can we just get rid of the word tactical? Uh, for our hammer program, I went with warfighter and door kickers because, uh, every time I hear the word tactical, I like get like a visceral response of some dude wearing like five eleven camo tactical pants with like a bunch of shit in the pockets and like a, uh, <laughs> under uh, armor. Yeah. Under armor shirt. And then like, uh, a strike Eagle fucking, uh, a holster on their hip. Like, I think the word tactical has just been, uh, it's been abused. It's, I mean, honestly, it needs to go to counseling to talk to somebody. And I think the problem is, is that by talking about firefighters in terms of a tactical sense, 
they they are creating this image in terms of like we just need you to you know like uh need you to be a stronger human i need you to be a more fit human i need you to be an actual person first before we get into this tactical thing where all of a sudden now you got on your i don't know fucking dickies and you got to go out there so i i I think we've couched this thing in the wrong way in that like we don't need these guys to be tactical i don't need them to like effectively kick in a door and clear a room i need them to like not fucking die by being fit enough to not have a heart attack i think uh dr andrew spino from uh from functional range conditioning says make shit work nice and be a better human like just be better at humaning and i think that would be perfect yeah well uh, like i think um not that i think i hate fucking passive language like that but it feels that um you know for a job as a firefighter uh humanity is a big piece of it i mean you're Mm -hmm. interacting with other humans that are at their potentially at their weakest moment Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be in an accident or this, I mean, the, and the only thing I can equate it to is, um, uh, my son has type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. And when he was in AK and was like, really like, we didn't know. And like, all of a sudden I got up and he had lost a bunch of weight. His lips were blue and he started throwing up. And like, my whole deal was like, scoop him up. Let's go to the hospital. And my wife's like, call 911. If they send an ambulance, they'll get him there faster. And uh, I don't, I'm like, I don't want to bother those people. Like we can get there. That's a real emergency though. Yeah. I know it's a real emergency. So in my thought, I'm like, shit, we'll deal with ourselves. Scoop them up. I'll fucking drive fast. And if we got to chase, please chase, we'll fucking get them there. <laughs> and, um, but my wife called. And so the fireman came in and like, you know, stabilized him, got him in, mm-hmm. got him there. And we ended up figuring out that he was type one diabetic. Uh, but like, you know, I mean, that's a situation when those dudes come in and there's your, you know, four or five year old child who's turning blue, you know, and like this moment of humanity where you're seeing people and like, you know, um, she, my wife's freaking out for me, like a stressful situations just make me more calm. Uh, but we have this issue that we have to deal with. And I think the issue comes down to you're dealing with people at their worst or at their most vulnerable. And, you know, at that point, you just got to be a stronger human, whether it looks like lifting some weights, doing some training, but like being able to manage that situation and, you know, tell a bunch of people that it's going to be all right when you don't necessarily know it's going to be all right. feels like a pretty overwhelming deal. And, and that situation for us is not that challenging because it is a true emergency. And that's what we're trained for. Where we tend to have problems with our compassion fatigue is those people that are calling at three in the morning for nonsense. And that's when it's really hard to be at your best and be really kind. Like and, my toilet's clogged. Yeah. Or, you know, my, my, I've had this cough for three weeks and now I just think I need to go because I'll get seen faster or something like that that like that's very hard but but we're what you, you're talking about do you think that the messaging is messed up that the messaging where it's like you know you're in trouble dial 911 i mean I, I like personally i think um other than that situation i can't imagine a situation where i call 911 like somebody's gonna have to have a gaping hole in their chest and i can't get them <laughs> to the fucking hospital in time i mean that that's the only way i think about it i mean the fact that like we were trying to burn some shit and the people at the school got nervous and called and the fireman showed up and like hosed their shit down. I was pretty mad about that because I didn't pay my $25 deal. Like that's not, a, that's not an emergency. That's just a fucking clerical error. I think the messaging is messed up and I, I am personally trying to correct that a little bit. We have a lot of calls for help for elderly people that just fall or um, uh, that's, that's the, the big one. They've fallen and they can't get up. And what Life are- alert. Yes. But what our guys t- tend to say, because they don't know what else to say, is they say, that's okay. That's our job. That's not the right message. If you fall just one time and you need help up, 
uh, understood. We can help you. But if you're falling two and three times a day, this is you need better care sure. and we can't be that care. So that's, you know, I've tried to maybe help them change the message to we're happy to help. However, instead of that's OK, it's our job. So I, I'm one person, though. Well, how, how many calls do you guys get in a day? Uh, I can tell you how many we get in a year. We have around 8,000 calls a year out of five stations. So whatever that is. So 8,000 divided by five, call that 1,600 divided by 365. Get up to 2.75 calls a day. Yeah, I ran 12 last shift. So we're at a busy station. So some of those stations are pretty slow. Uh, I know where we live, uh, that road right out there, Hamilton Pool, people drive like morons. Oh, yeah. Because it used to be a country road, and now they put 1,800 homes up here, so people think it's like the 405. And uh, the amount of times we're at the shop where we'll hear like a, and then we'll wait, and then we hear, and we they light them up because people do, people pass over the double yellow. The amount of stupid things I see on a daily basis, I'm like, and uh, I just feel bad. I see those guys going up and down, having to mess with them. I mean, so much so that they put a station right up the road on mm-hmm. us. Well, and the thing that we have to also consider is that with all of the industries, everyone's trying to do more with less people. And so uh, we have two less rigs or 18 less people than when I started. Uh, Much greater call volume, uh, much greater job uh, responsibility. So now we have to do fire inspections that we never had to do. I mean, there's just a lot more going on. And so uh, that creates a lot of stress, too. There's just really no downtime anymore. Why we need better preparation. So what's the um what's the fix? I mean, if in uh you know, if you could play Wizard of Oz and stand behind the curtain and pull some levers, like I mean, what is it? I mean, is it a a centralized app that all firemen have to check into that you know gives them a daily wellness score and that they have to log their fitness and their training that tracks every one of their metrics through a watch where now all of a sudden somebody can sit back there and see when a person, you know, obviously you haven't slapped your heart rates elevated and then you can go make an intervention. I mean, that's like in a perfect world, that's what we would do. We would just plug in technology and find people that were, you know, not falling within the realm we needed them to and to go and fix those people. Well, absolutely, because we're more sleep deprived, we're making poor decisions. So the truck drivers and the airline pilots years ago had to start being more accountable for the amount of sleep and rest that they got. I'm not sure how that's tracked, but they definitely changed flights just because the flight crew did not get enough sleep. Um, Truck drivers have to go through uh, the way stations and they have logs. Okay. And so they have to like fill out the logs and then somebody signs the log and they go through and they have to do, I think it's like every 12 hours they have to stop. I mean, that's like when you drive on the road, you see those dudes just truck running, just sleeping and they have to get X amount of sleep. I mean, I don't know if they all do it, but I know that they're pretty stringent on that. Uh, We would definitely have to be able to somehow track accountability off duty because that's the other thing. These, these young guys coming in, guys and girls coming in, you know, they are, they've got this great job and they decide they're going to buy a $70,000 truck. Now we have to take all of the overtime. We have to have all of the extra jobs. And by the way, we want to party and play video games and all that stuff too. So we have to make them more accountable for their time off if we're going to try to be more accountable to them. But I think the big thing is we as fire departments have to provide time and professional resources. So when I'm going to work with a department, I have two requirements. The first one is you need to already be providing comprehensive medical physicals once per year. If you're not, I'm not the right person for you. Spend your money on that first. The second one is I need you to carve out time for your people and not just say they can work out on duty whenever they want to when they have time. 
I need you to analyze your schedule, find out when your least busy time of the day is, and block it. You have no outside speakers. You have no outside training. If you get calls, yes, you go on your call, but block that time and then provide the resources for them, provide the coaching, provide the the leadership and the culture for them. That's the answer, I think. Time and resources. And then the next step is targeted training, like hammer per se. So not just providing the time, making sure they're doing things that well, in line with preparation. So when we put out Hammer, it was for a certain audience because we've been working with um, uh, military and just these kind of like, you know, the type of people that naturally are going to train four or five days a week that know it'll use barbells, probably have a garage gym or something pretty available to them. But actually, I was sitting here listening. I, I like something more basic. I mean, it's just like, uh, it, it, this is fitness. Shake hands. You guys are going to be friends for three months. And then at the end of three months, we're going to maybe find a new friend for you. Like that's feels like, I mean, when you have people at the academy, they're coming in 25, 30% body fat. I mean, that's either I've done nothing or I've legitimately tried to be this heavy. And the, the problem that's happening in official academies, uh, you know, on the East coast where they're still putting 50 and 75 people through academies at a time too, is that they have, they do have civilian people experts, but they also have their, they call them their cadre of instructors who tend to use fitness as a punishment. And so even if you are walking in, you are unfit, you are now being punished with fitness. So what you say when you get done is I'm never doing that shit again. Sure. I am done. And so if we could flip that script a little bit and um, instill that love of health and wellness and fitness, find something they enjoy, find something that's low barrier to entry. And then so how do we it. punish them? Oh, running sprints, running pillars. Uh, Extra. I was going to say math questions, math problems. Oh, you mean how should we punish? Yeah, like them? how should we problem? Like you owe me. Um, uh, I was. Gonna, I mean, these. I need you they're to do in these, the academy. I need you to do these yeah. calculus proofs. No, like silly haircuts, like the oh, the yeah. friar tuck. I don't think you can do that. I think you get sued for messing people up like that. That's I mean, it. I think we should bring it back. Don't get me wrong, or shave one eyebrow. Well, if that we sucks. look at long term, the drama from a, a silly haircut for a week, or your disdain for physical fitness the reverse skunk just shave a stripe right <laughs> down the middle of your head yeah there's funny things like that yeah i think in the fire service and i can't speak to the law enforcement side i can't speak to the military side but i know in the fire service we do a poor job with the educational process as it is so i know that there are people that go to school to learn the art of educating people. And we do not use any of those um, methodologies in the fire service. And so I think if we were doing a better job educating our candidates, there wouldn't be the need for punishment. So there wouldn't be the need to run stairs, to do burpees, to do whatever, or for weird haircuts or for text mustaches. For it's that called matter. punishment. That's what punishment. we need to do. Tex, you look like a firefighter. Well, I'll tell you what, there is no bigger career for former CrossFit coaches than becoming a fireman. Ah, that's true. Actually, I know several firefighters that actually own CrossFit gyms and then went back. Because mm-hmm. they realized CrossFit gym is not nearly as profitable <laughs> and doesn't provide you pension. So if people wanted to get into the fire department, right? I mean, obviously, like uh, before the age of 30, because if you're, you know, if they were mandatory retire you at 55, let's say, and you got to put in at least, what, 25 years, then you got to get in before you're 30 to be able to get pension 
I'm sure there are people that have joined and been like, fuck it, I ain't getting a pension. Yes. Also mandatory in Illinois is 65. So we just had a 65 year old retire recently. He was a very good fire. Mm. So, yes. So what would I recommend to them? Yeah. I get this question almost weekly. And the first thing I do is I tell them all the bad things about the fire service because I want them to understand from the outset. Most people lead with the good stuff. So I tell them all the bad stuff. And then I say, I need you to do a couple things. The first thing is I need you to be as absolutely physically and mentally fit as you can. So everyone has baggage. Everyone's bringing baggage with them. I need you to create a relationship with a counselor now before you even start. And maybe you only go twice a year. Maybe you go three times a year. Have that relationship before you even start so that when you have a problem, it's not weird. You already have a relationship. Then I need you to start prioritizing your sleep and your nutrition and get yourself to be the healthiest human that you possibly can. And then you might be ready. What would be some bar- like uh, some fitness markers for them? Like, should they be able to run, I don't know, a uh, 25 minute 5K? Uh, should they be able to do 50 push ups in one go? Like, I always think, like, uh, especially for men, that if you can give people, like, hey, here's a pretty good marker that if you could hit these markers, you would probably be pretty ready and be successful to be a firefighter. In my bag, I actually have a paper right now. I'm going to do a post on it on how fitness testing does or does not correlate with actual performance on the fire ground. And um, um, I just meant for the potential candidates who are going to um, apply. Like they should have some basic markers to shoot for. Um, 42 on their VO2 max is pretty well documented and everything else is it's all over the place. And so good aerobic fitness, um, they should have great mobility. So if they have restrictions in their squat pattern, uh, in their overhead reaching, they should work on that really hard. But other than that, just the general health and wellness is really important in my opinion. What about the ability to cook? Yes. I had a candidate on Christmas Eve, uh, nearly cut off his not just his fingers entire hand he has such poor knife school knife skills and so i said you need to put on the cut glove we have to wear a cut glove now and so he looks at me like i'm crazy and then puts it on the wrong hand he puts it on the hand that he's got the knife in so i relieved him of his duties and he was no longer allowed to cut so yes cooking skills very important so you have uh, an adult male yes that's not allowed to use sharp instrument He's doing better now. I just worked with him the other day. They've been working on the skills. Yeah. So I mastered that when I was six. I was my mom's sous chef. And uh, that was my job to cut everything when I was six. So, I mean, uh, maybe these people just didn't learn how to cook in the kitchen. Maybe they didn't have a mom that cooked. Michael Myers with a knife. So maybe uh, a cooking class might be a good recommendation. The International Society of Sports Nutrition just came out with a position stand. And one of the things they said was that health and wellness interventions work really well in firefighters. So if you have a cooking class or some sort of an educational class, very helpful. Well, I I can't remember if we talked about this last time, the time, but Game Changers, that vegan documentary did. The fucking worst. Uh, Where they're like fire. And, well, I mean, so here's the thing, even though I despise the vegans um, and uh, I am not a fan, um, it is pretty hard for me to say this, that if they were to actually adopt that diet, it's probably or healthier than what they're presently doing 
just by the mere fact that they're not eating all that crap. Now they're still eating a bunch of processed vegan shit. And in terms of the environment and all the other reasons that we get into it, but like at the end of the day, uh, you know, like it's really hard to be a 25% fat vegan. Is it? I I don't know. I mean, we've never met them. Hey, I don't know. I mean, so okay. Hey, fat uh, vegan. on this podcast, if you can send Chris, if we have this thing called the power athlete hotline, nine, two, nine, four, six, four, four, six, four, my God, no zero pictures. I want you to text us any links or pictures or anything. If you can find a vegan that's over 25 or 30% body fat. And I don't mean like skinny fat, like chew bubble gum, like real lunchy people. I mean like obese fat vegans. It's really interesting when when firefighters don't know the name of the diet, if they are just looking at methods of eating, the one that they seem to respond to well is the Mediterranean diet. So they say, yeah, I think I could eat that way. Uh, the Mediterranean diet, I mean, you got fish, you got olive oil, I yeah. mean, you got vegetables. Um, yeah. It's not a bad diet. Like, uh, I mean, when they look at like, you know, the probably the diet that most people can subscribe to, it's usually mm-hmm. something around. I mean, it's, it's pretty low in saturated fat, high in monounsaturated fats. I mean, it's, it's got fiber. It's got a lot of stuff. I mean, a Mediterranean diet isn't necessarily um, a bad choice. I mean, believe me, it's better than like DJ's diet of like uh, cold pizza, uh, NOS, and Ho-Ho's. He's the kid that works up in the shop. Uh, DJ's diet, it's amazing. Like I, I always tell the girls, I'm like, if you really want to see what a bad diet is, go see with DJ. And uh, I mean, like it's just. So I actually, I told him after the collective, my mission is going to be to get DJ in shape. It's going to be my 2022 fucking die on the sword mission to try to get DJ in shape. Hammer 90. Oh, he's going to get hammered repeatedly uh, (laughs) with fists. Uh, Poor DJ. But I mean, uh, like we've been talking about nutrition and fitness for so long. And like after a while you come down to almost like we're sitting with the person and be like, what can we accomplish? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, even uh, like the best plan poorly executed is worse than like the poorest plan excellently ex- yeah, yeah, consistently executed. So like sitting down and like you probably said, like, here's four or five different options in terms of eating, which one do you think you could fit in terms of training, like which one appeals to you? Mm-hmm. And almost finding what works for each individual, opposed from trying to pour people into these buckets that we know are just kind of a, a fool's errand. I started using a lot more motivational interviewing. What has worked for you in the past? What do you like? You know, just going down that path. And it seems to be much more effective for them. They like to be in charge. They like to drive the car, the bus, whatever. They like to be in charge. Does that mean they're good drivers? No. No. They're not good drivers and they can't use knives. I don't know. If you can't drive and you can't use a knife, I don't know if I'm going to trust you in many ways. I'd probably be like, okay, you just do this. (laughs) And again, that's great while they're doing it. But then when they fall off, they fall off hard. So. I did get some feedback recently, though. People, I'm, I'm a big small changes person. Like, find that low-hanging fruit, that low barrier to entry makes small change. And someone gave me feedback that just said, like, it doesn't feel like it's having enough impact. That's why I feel like I have to do so much more. Uh, heard and understood. However, if you keep falling off the train, then we haven't gotten anywhere. Sure. We haven't gotten to your destination. Sure. But if we can just get everyone to be a little bit better make a little bit healthier choices and get some goddamn sleep. I think that the needle is going to move in the right direction. Well, last time we spoke, you, one of your, I guess, key words within your brand was fitness. Yes. And now you've evolved to wellness. And you said your leading principle essentially is sleep. Yes. 
So what else has changed in the last few years here? Okay, to be honest, I was always wellness. I just didn't have it in my name. So that was really dumb. So I just changed the name. But uh, I'm always preaching about the upstream principles, always preaching about suicide awareness and prevention and uh, acknowledging that this is a very tough career path. And then I came to the realization that I need to help a lot more people than I'm helping and I cannot scale my business effectively at this time. And so I started offering a service where I teach other professionals in a classroom setting how to do what I do. And so they've been really small classes so far. They're virtual, but physical therapists, athletic trainers, strength coaches, dietitians, and mental health professionals are taking my class. And we start with cultural competency where I teach them the vocabulary. I teach them the schedule. I teach them the job and why you don't train in gear. And then we start with the... um, how to put together a solution uh, after you do an, uh, an analysis of the department, how to provide a solution, how to price your solution, how to stay on their radar. And uh, I've been pretty successful actually with helping people get jobs or contracts with fire departments. So that's my big scope that I've been doing lately. And I believe text, you and I talked about a podcast like three years ago almost at Coaches Conference. And I told you I will never ever have a podcast well guess what starting a podcast Ooh, called it so um actually i'm recording my intro and all that stuff this coming up saturday i have my first set of guests all booked but not yet recorded and hoping to launch three episodes on october 1st and a weekly episode thereafter I i always get so jealous when people talk about starting a podcast because I think about where we started, where it was like four dudes huddled around a phone and a mic and we were like trying to record, like it was yes. so awful that now when I see people come out, like they, they, they know how to book guests, they got mics, they got like the studio, like everybody's got this like really great image. And uh, then I think back and I look at our first 150 episodes and I'm like, God damn it, if we only we could go redo those. Well, yeah. it, it's like the 12 year olds now uh, with the makeup tutorials. Who needs a professional makeup artist anymore? You just look on YouTube with the 12 year olds. But anyway, the the uh, podcast is going to be the Fire Rescue Wellness Podcast, and I'm hoping to have uh, episodes of about one hour and then shorty episodes of 30 minutes. So when I have a guest that works within fire, I will talk to them about uh, what are best practices for firefighters, and then I'll do a second 30 minute segment with them. How did you get into the job? Uh, what are the trip hazards? All of those types of things. So kind of helping the professionals. And the firefighters at the same time. More to come. Bitchin'. Well, Bitchin'. We, we will tune in once it pops. I think you got to throw a couple names. You got to have like fire, wellness, tactical, extreme, <sighs> fire, science, science, XL, X, Yeti, XL. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Podcast. Extreme, but with no E. <laughs> Just and some INGs. Extreme, ing, ing. Ing, how about that? Yeah, we'll uh, hand that ing ing. Yeah, to you, you can bother. I mean, yeah, you can have it. I'll just give it to you. <laughs> yeah, you I'll sign it over. <laughs> God damn it. The fact that we have that many podcasts with the ing ing ing. But you know what? It's part of our heritage. It's who we were. Was that a Luke thing? Uh, yeah, uh, it was. Um, we had a, um, a soundboard that had a laugh track and you could hit it and then it would like strength conditioning and then he, echo. It, and it he an hit echo. it and it was an echo. And then for some reason, we got a new soundboard that didn't have it, and we just did the echo because we thought it was funny. 
And then one time I was like, I uh, went back and listened to the podcast. I'm like, this is so bad. Why are we doing this? So we just get rid of it. Like it. Reevaluated. I like it. No, I mean, you got to pivot and be able to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we talk about? Neuroplasticity, not crystallizing. You have to be malleable and flexible and continue to move and be able to change or you fucking die. And if I can start a podcast, I mean, anyone can, right? And they have. And they have. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I look forward to seeing the panel and hanging out with all the tactical pros. Do you, are you just going to tell Tyler, do you look so tactical? TC? Yeah. My boy? Just be like, Tyler, look how Dude. tactical you look. You don't look tactical enough. Let's go to the bar and get You're you there. You're tactical. Is, uh, is Caldeet's going to be there? Uh, I don't uh, think this not one. Presenting. Uh, he's not presenting. Yeah. He, he, he just might show up. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. He's like a, he's like a smoke bomb. Well, yeah. If, I mean, somebody's going to pick a fight, they'll be looking around for Cal to go pick a fight on foot position. Yeah. Because, yeah. Be good. Well, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If you'd like to learn more about Annette Zapp, you can follow her on Instagram at Fire Rescue Wellness. Until next time, bye!